Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Psalm 101 and Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or families. Scripture as a whole calls God's children to live morally upright lives before God and others. An Old Testament example of this call to holiness is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 states, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Not only is this expectation to live, expectation to live holy lives made abundantly clear in scripture, but the specifics of what a holy life looks like are also given. As we read God's word, we find passages in the Old and New Testaments that appear to include what have been called virtue lists or vice lists. A virtue list is a list of behaviors or characteristics that demonstrate high moral character. A vice list is the opposite, a list of behaviors or characteristics considered immoral. The Greek word for virtue is erete. It can be translated as the praise, glory, or excellence of a person. The biblical meaning of virtue is to live one's life to the glory of God. While less common than in the New Testament, we do find virtueless and viceless in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments, as an example, can be thought of as a kind of virtue list. There are also some lists in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, especially Psalms and Proverbs. These lists compare the characters of two kinds of people, the righteous and the wicked. Such passages provide the foundational biblical background for each virtue. In the New Testament, both Peter and Paul commonly use and give virtue lists. Probably the best known virtue list in the New Testament is the list known as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Another well-known virtue list is the description of love found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it it is not self-seeking, 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. As we continue with our five-week study on holy living, we will look today cl at closely at virtue lists found in Psalm 101 and Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part of it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. And then Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The heading of Psalm 101 gives its authorship to David. The psalm is included as one of the royal psalms of lament. Biblical laments generally take two forms. Laments can be a confession of guilt, like that found in Psalm 51, as King David prayed a confessional prayer for his adulterous and murderous acts connected to Bathsheba and Uriah. They can also take the form of a profession of innocence, like in Psalm 101, our scripture focus for today, where the king insisted that he would keep his covenant promises to God and calls for God's saving intervention on behalf of the nation. After the Babylonian exile and the completion of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem around the year 516 BC, Psalm 101 became a part of the hymnal of the second temple. In this new setting, the royal psalm was read as a description of the blameless character of the expected Messiah to come. The psalmist begins Psalm 101 with some of the virtues he plans to uphold as a leader of God's people. 
he first reminds the listener in verse one that these virtues originate not in him, but in the love and justice of the Lord. His introductory praise addresses Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name of the one true God of Israel and is usually translated as Lord with small capital letters in English. So David praises and worships our God who rules the world with love and justice. Other royal laments like Psalm 89 and Psalm 144 begin in a similar pattern of praise. The word love comes from the Hebrew word hesed, which means covenant loyalty or loving kindness. God's covenant loyalty and loving kindness to his people calls for a human response, which begins the Old Testament a virtue list that we're looking at today. The king vowed to be a person of total integrity and to govern with uncompromising faithfulness to God. Psalm 101, verse 2. David would embody the social and moral standards his people should follow. The King James Version reads, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. The New, King, the New International Version uses a language of blameless heart. To have a perfect heart does not mean that he would live absolutely perfect. Rather, even, in his, even if his performance was not flawless, his motives would be blameless. The psalmist's conduct would be free from sinful desires, motives, or intentions. David realized that he could only live blamelessly as he depended on God continually. Thus, his question in verse 2, when will you come to me? Notice that everyone in the palace or in his home will witness his integrity of heart. He had to be the same person all the time, no matter who was watching or listening, and regardless of the consequences. Such character is not a contrived performance intended to impress others. It consists of a spontaneous life response that reflects the habit of godliness. We must remember today that people in our homes, our family, at school, and at work are watching our lives. We can only live such blameless lives as, as we, like David, depend on God's constant presence. The king realized that living and governing with integrity required accountability from others near him. Psalm 101, verse 6 he, in, in Psalm 101, verse 6, he commits to dwell with associates and advisors who are equally committed to living with uncompromising moral character. The king was looking to surround himself with an administration composed of faithful people with blameless moral integrity like himself. Such faithful advisors were not mindlessly loyal to the king. They were capable leaders who were committed to God and whose trustworthiness was grounded in their faith. Let me just pause here for a moment to say a word about accountability. Some spiritual leaders today shy away from accountability. Having someone get too close makes them feel nervous. 
they tend to push back uh, or deflect the conversation when someone asks too many questions. Unfortunately, this behavior can create a recipe for spiritual failure as they isolate themselves from others who would be able to support them in living lives of integrity. You see, we need each other. Iron sharpens iron, says Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. I encourage you to not surround yourselves with yes people. Instead, place people near you who are courageous enough to ask hard questions and hold you up so that you have support to live what you believe. David understood that the integrity, honesty, and goodness flowed from the lives of godly counselors. Such integrity of others would encourage him in his pursuit of righteous living, and together their examples would bless the entire nation. In addition to committing to live with integrity and uncompromising faithfulness, David's desired virtues, he also vowed to disapprove of all that is vile or wicked, his vice list. The king would reject corruption in his government. He would not entertain immoral plans, devious decisions, or perversions of, of justice. For David, to hate what faithless people do meant to refuse to compromise with evil. The reference to the perverse heart in verse 4 means both twisted behavior as well as the deep longing within for such behavior. This is the opposite of a blameless heart and lifestyle mentioned in verse two. Not only will the psalmist refuse to participate in the deceit and lies of those within his community, he will not tolerate falsehood living close to him, implying that he would deal with sin even within his own household. The king will promote biblical morality, both at home and throughout the kingdom over which he rules. We're reminded in this passage today that the promotion of biblical justice, righteousness, and integrity within any nation requires good examples from top leaders. This is difficult to find within the confines of governments, government houses today. Too often, political spin doctors try to mislead the public by cleverly sugarcoating unpleasant truths with a veil of lies. David intended his government to actually serve the best interests of the nation, not just making him look good. As royal judge, the king would remove all who oppose the values of the covenant community from places of influence. Talk about accountability and leadership. Your job was on the line. We must pray that God gives our nations and certainly our churches, leaders who serve with godly integrity of heart and life and require those who serve with them to do the same. As we move into the New Testament passage in this week's lesson, we're reminded that the, the God, that God's call to live a godly life is not just for the king, the pastor, or the leader of a community. God, through the power of his spirit, calls every disciple to live such a pure life in Christ. Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi during an unjust imprisonment. 
the letter encourages hard-pressed Christians to join him in rejoicing in the Lord, despite their struggles and undeserved suffering. He urged them to continue to live blameless lives and obedient lives to God as they waited for God to fulfill his good purpose. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Interestingly, Paul borrowed the list of virtues found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, from the Greek and Roman culture of his day. Since we're created in the image of God, even though marred by sin, it is natural that all people have the drive for moral excellence, a virtue list stamped, if you will, on our souls. I remind you, though, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This helps us understand why many cultures, including pagan ones, developed virtue lists. While the virtue lists might appear to be the same for pagans and Christians, there are some noteworthy differences. First, in ancient times and still today, Christians and pagans did not always agree on what was true and lovely. Christians looked and continue to look to Christ and the gospel for the precise content of these virtues. Pagans, however, looked to the Greco-Roman culture alone. Also, Paul understood that it was not possible to live up to these lofty goals without the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, making us like Christ. We cannot perfect these virtues in our, in our lives through human striving. If we want to live the virtues to which our Christian faith calls us, we must have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2 verse 5, and be filled with, the, with God's spirit. I remember a conversation I had with a lawyer many years ago. We were talking about legal and moral behaviors. His assumption was quite different than mine, even though he professed Christ as his savior. He believed that things deemed legal in the USA were by definition morally good. I quickly brought up abortion and pornography as two examples that are legal but outside of the will of God. These examples, along with many others we could list today, would not fall into the category of Paul's virtue list that we find in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Be assured that while a virtue list of Christians and the world might look similar to the word, the definitions of what this list means might be quite different. So let's take a moment then to look at Paul's virtue list found in Philippians 4, 8. As Christians, we are to focus on whatever is true. That is, pursuing ideals and values that are real, genuine, and authentic, not simply accepting a correct opinion. Second, we're to focus on things, whatever is noble, practices and relationships that are wholesome and worthy of respect, as well as whatever is right, behaviors that behavior that is righteous and just in God's eyes, whatever is pure, actions that are sincere and holy, whatever is lovely, 
a way of life that is beautiful and attractive, whatever is admirable, words and music that are pleasant sounding and winsome, anything excellent, that is practices that are exceptional and morally virtuous. And an example would be unselfish service of others. And finally, anything praiseworthy, a lifestyle that God and others consider deserving of honor. We must remember that the exception of Paul and Silas, with the exception of Paul and Silas, the believers in Philippi knew very few Christians outside of their local circle. So it's not surprising that Paul repeatedly urged his readers to follow his example. If the believers continue to think and act in Christ-like ways, despite their circumstances, Paul could assure them that the that the God that God would be with them, according to uh, Philippians chapter four, verse nine. The evidence of God's presence uh, may not all, may not be an awe-inspiring, saving intervention but would be marked by the overall well-being of the disciple brought by the gift of God's peace. Holy living is not an invention of humanity. The virtues we call good come directly from God. Our living holy is truly a reflection of God living in us and empowering us from the inside out to be like Christ. This certainly keeps us humble, doesn't it? Each one of us can honestly say today, any holiness you see in me is not a result of my cleanliness, but of Christ living in me. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.